0: So it's our last evening together, and the heat's back a bit. So is the sunshine. And I wanna do a little bit of reflecting um, on the theme that we've been working with all week, which in one sense is the non-separation of our inner lives, our present moment, uh, the life of present moment awareness, and Uh, Our outer lives here, on and off the cushion, et cetera. Another way to look at that is that there is a split and that we're working to heal it in a certain way. So I just want to, carrying on what I've done in the previous talks, just reflect a bit and then we'll have time for some questions and answers. So I want to go back to the first, uh, actually, the first quote that I read or Ancient teaching that I cited in the first talk, which was from the Bhagavad Gita, act but not the fruit for the fruits thereof, or act but without attachment to the consequences. And so, at the time you heard it, in the beginning of the retreat, it might have seemed, might have given you a little relief, it might have seemed mysterious, uh, maybe it's a nice attitude. But now perhaps, in terms of practice, you can understand a little more deeply what that actually implies. Seeing mindfulness is an action, it's a very powerful action. And perhaps we've noticed in these days, I'm sure we have, that when our coming back to the moment or opening into what is, when that's colored, when there's a leaning energy in it, uh, when there's a pulling away energy, when it, in a way when we're acting because we're trying to get something or get rid of something, then we see what that does to the quality of the moment, very simply. So perhaps in a little way you see now the profundity, not just the nice inspiration of that teaching and perhaps it's deepened in how we work with it. In other words, perhaps we've gotten onto ourselves a little bit more in terms of seeing how it's very difficult for us to leave the moment alone. But that's where we can break through the veils that separate us from the moment, from stepping out of time and into intimacy here, now. So I want to apply this principle now to the world a little bit. You're going to be going home tomorrow, the mind might already be there a little bit. Uh, and in one of the talks, I spoke of uh, working with students at, uh, at Tufts University in Boston, where I'm uh, teaching this summer as a professor, teaching a class on Buddhism. Uh, and it can apply to, and it's a fine institution, uh, and it, it can apply to any any situation for any of us where we've gone through a lot of training to get certain results, which help us to be competent in the world and help us to do a good job in the world. So that's what the students there are training to do. They're trying to get skills so they can uh, be functional in the world and we've done that in our own ways. And there's tremendous benefit to that uh, and there, we can be proud of that in a way and what we've done and how we put that into effect through, in a general way through scientific innovation, technological innovation, uh, more skillful ways to be with the environment, how we work with it, the technological innovation is a different question. But there are marvels that we uh, have been able to create on this planet because we've achieved certain capacities of mind. We've learned certain skills. And we've often done them at a high, with a high cost. So that's, with, with, for example, with the students at, at, uh, in education, uh, they can learn the ideas about Buddhism For example, they can learn, they can do well in a test, they can have nice ideas, they can uh, get good grades, help them to get into medical school or whatever. They can also, as they're doing that, they can also have a different attitude. And this is inviting all of us with our skill sets that we learn so that perhaps we don't have to pay the same price uh, that we often do for worldly success. In other words, when we start to see the costs of acting with a clear uh, craving for the goal. How that actually hurts us internally, the price we pay for that. And also, perhaps, how it hinders the price that we can pay in terms of creativity in the actual process. So I know that when I was absorbing, times when I have absorbed information, I've been very dogged-headed about it. Very little self-understanding involved. I really wanted to get the goal and then afterwards I got the knowledge, but how did that affect the quality of my present moment awareness? Uh, It was nice because I got accolades and I got skill sets, but internally, a little different. Not valuing that so much, so can is it possible to bring the mind that we bring onto the cushion that we work with here to touch the quality of the present moment? in a way that's consistent and nourishing, can we bring that into our daily activities in a way where we actually are in the world, where we are gaining skill sets, where we are working with memory and with the future? Can there be an honest relationship where we actually learn about the quality of our living and can enhance that as we're working in the world? So that's a, really, that's a very deep challenge. But if we can, if we can, if we can address that challenge, then we can start to heal this split very practically. (laughs) So we've been learning to get nourished in the present. That's one way to put it. Uh, I want to give another analogy from nature. Uh, I've talked about frogs, right? Frogs splash in the pond. And I spoke about a fish uh, that That was in a fish tank and it, it saw there was a was glass there and it didn't go through it, and then when it wasn't there, it didn't go through it. So you know about the frog and the fish. Well, they're gonna get together in this story. It's my last one. Larry talks about bagels and things. I, I was brought up in the country, so I talk about animals and fishes and things. Um, so a frog and a fish uh, both can be in the water, right? And when a frog is little, it's a, it's a tadpole. I actually just did some research on this just to make sure my facts are straight. (laughs) And a a tadpole has gills when it's little. So it acts like a fish, because a fish has gills. So it breathes in the water. I hope there are no, probably people have much deeper knowledge. But this is, I I understand this is fact. It's from very early in the education process. (laughs) So when a tadpole turns into a frog, it loses its gills And it acquires lungs so that it can go on land. And it can hop around and get food on land. It also maintains the ability to breathe, uh, when most of it is submerged in water, through its skin. So it's not quite like a fish, but it has some of the attributes. So you see frogs hanging out in the water. This is not a nature lesson. Uh, It's a lesson on transformation and where our practice is leading us. So in our lives. We're, when we're swimming in the past and the future all the time, when, we're, when the mind is moving uh, in relation to pushing and pulling the objects of its desires, then we're using the analogy, we're like, uh, we're like a fish. We don't know what it's like to be in the air. In this sense, that would be the stillness, the nourishment of silence, of really being in the present moment. So as we mature in our practice, we have the capacity more and more to touch the quality of clear seeing, and we start to realize it's a nice place to be, and we can actually start to it sometimes prefer to be there. It's like being on land, and it's the analogy is it's on land, so we can get we can get certain food on land that we can't that the fish can't get in the sea. Now the fish would think. Uh, I'll talk about this a little more after, the fish would think that the, the frog was crazy to talk about what it's like if you're on the land when it comes back to the sea. So that's sometimes what people think when we tell them about meditation.
1: <laughs>
0: and we say, it was just great, abiding in the present moment, silence, not, not being caught in the future, and uh, not the projections on the future, and not being caught in the past, just wonderful. And they're like, what? What's for dinner? let's get the list let's go through one step 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 and let's get it okay come on come back to reality but we learned that there's a quality of nourishment there and so that's what we've been doing here in a way the problem comes in when we think that that nourishment that we get in the present moment and this can be supported by spiritual teachings when we think that this is it and it's in conflict with being back in the water with being with the actual Plans of our lives, when the stuff of our lives, uh, with the tangible skills that we need to obtain, the things we need to learn, and so our task is really to be uh, amphibian in that way, so that we can learn to touch and dwell outside of the realm of of thought and of past and of future, and of pushing and pulling, but also be comfortable in them. So when we can start to see this not as a split, but rather as a movement, it can also be an attitude shift that helps us. Um, I want to give an example of this split, uh, last one. And this is from my hes 11-year-old nephew. And the night before I came here, so last Thursday night, I was talking to my oldest brother who lives in Oregon, in Eugene, Oregon. And just before I talked to my brother, I don't talk to him often, he said, talk to Owen, who's the, who's my nephew? And Owen started talking, and he said, in school today, these hippie teachers made us go sit up in a tree and expand our
2: consciousness.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And he said it like three times, and his voice got, I can't imitate it. It got more and more sharp. He's a smart little kid, okay? And it got more and more sharp. Uh, And then I was like, so they were teaching you to meditate? He said, yeah. They told us to go meditate up in a tree and expand our consciousness. These hippies. And then he stopped, and his voice was getting more and more tense, and he said, do you know that the longest worm in the world is six feet?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's like, OK. And then he went back again to, the, to, the, to this expanded consciousness hippies. Now, if you've ever been to Eugene, Oregon, it's got the most uh, VW buses per capita of any city in the country. So, I, there probably were <laughs> so he went back to them and he criticized them again and then he said in Oregon the longest uh, the longest worm we have is three feet <laughs> okay that's the end of the story <laughs> what's the point so here's a kid who's very interested in the world and he saw a, a, and I'm, I'm sort of sheepishly sitting here well I'm a meditation teacher like <laughs> I didn't know quite how to respond but I thought about it later and I said you know what Uh, In a way, he he just gave me a good lesson, and we can. it's not a split. He doesn't understand now, so maybe later. His mother used to practice Zen, so maybe he's gotten a little seed of it. Uh, When we're sitting, do we vacillate between trying to expand our consciousness or grabbing onto things and describing them and labeling them and getting in the nitty-gritty of the world in that way? So the attitude is actually neither of these. We don't need to go... We don't need to go uh, climb in a tree or, well, coming to IMS is a little more sophisticated, uh, and try to expand our consciousness. Our practice, when we practice in an open way, is simply to be open. But it's also to avoid the other extreme, right, which a kid who wants to gain knowledge has of when we hear a bird going, what is that bird, and labeling it and categorizing it, that tendency of mind. So it's both to be aware. And also to invite and be clearly with everything that arises. So as I reflect that, I said, hey, he gave me a pretty good teaching. It just took me a week of sitting to figure it out. <laughs> OK, now uh, we're going to be heading back in the world soon. And so what attitude is, what, what simple attitude can help us? in a way, to maintain the emphasis of what we've been trying to do here. Now, Larry will talk about it more tomorrow. But I want to just end the reflection, then we'll have a Q&A with, um, with an attitude that I ended the first talk with, which is an attitude which we see if we cannot get to sink into experience nor lean into it. So the Buddha said, how do we cross the flood of, He was actually, he was asked um, in the Samyutta Nikaya, one of the early Pali teachings, he was asked, how do we cross the flood of samsara? So how do we cross the flood of this mind and heart that are continuously pushing and pulling and not entering fully in the moment and not being nourished by it and not being able to develop a healthy relationship to the things in our lives? That's a modern interpretation. Without tarrying, friend, and without struggling, did I cross the flood. When tarrying, friend, I sank, and when struggling, I was swept away. So, friend, it is by not tarrying and not struggling that I have crossed the flood. So it's very important to see if we can, as we move and as the retreat dissolves, and even as we pack, and as the energy changes, and it already did change when we had the managers talk, and now we've come back again uh, to the silence. Can we see if we can touch the mind that doesn't rush and doesn't sink in the thoughts and the energies that are rising? And each time we do that, we're touching the mind that's right here and not in conflict. So then the teachings of... That we're continuing to allow to deepen impermanent. Say, uh, this retreat is impermanent. We can let them work on us, and wisdom can arise. But it's simple that we just keep using our practice to relax, to open, and to enter fully into right now. Okay, so uh, that's it for my reflection. Just wanted to get us warmed up a little, and now we've got some time for Q and A. Q&A. So anything, uh, I will say that this is meant to be a practice session. So it's not a, like an, an interview in the, uh, in the room. Uh, and there can be some information exchange, but it's really meant to be a continuation of our practice in the form of uh, question and answer and dialogue, okay? So anybody, please.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, And my question is, how do you integrate that with practice? And I'm a little, I've been a little nervous lately that I'm taking what I know intellectually or what I've read Mm -hmm. and then expecting certain things. Maybe not expecting, Mm -hmm. but it's planting seeds and that I maybe should have come to in my practice on my own. So how do you integrate the two? And obviously you give us knowledge as well. So how do we integrate that? Without, I
0: don't know. Cheating. <laughs> um, did everybody hear the question? What was the last part how I did that without cheating? Um, <laughs> 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 so let me just summarize. Okay, just did everybody hear in the back or not? No. 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 Okay, I'll just re- I'll repeat in a simplified form. I'm not going to get all the details and I'll try to to flesh it out. Um, th- there can be a conflict between studying the Dharma in many different forms, Jack Cornfield books, et cetera, and then, and then practicing and then having the mind expecting or leaning into or wanting. And the cheating part I don't quite get, but let me, we can go back and forth a little bit. How, are you cheating by by reading? Should you, should it just be your own understanding that flowers?
3: Yeah, well, it's almost that I, I know you have these, or through the reading, you, you, right. you know certain okay. things, right? I got you it, yes, okay. Am I really realizing
0: it, or am I just remembering um, you know, okay, what I read and applying that? And so so, there's a, so it's, a, it's a question of the split between theory and practice. It's an excellent, excellent question. And at a, at a level that's very practical, it's one you have to live. So you did some study, and now you came on retreat. I hope you weren't reading on the retreat. OK, good. So. <laughs> almost (laughs) okay Um, so did you find on the retreat that you were actually putting into practice some of the things that the books were talking about and we were talking about because we're just everything we're saying up here you can find in books too Okay, so when you're, apply- when you're actually applying the practice, it's a, it's a good question, so give me a moment to explore it with you. While you're applying the practice, the practice is if a thought comes up about a, about a reading or about am I seeing this, etc. Uh, is this what I read, is this, is this the Dharma, am I, then those are thoughts. And those are meant, for the most part, to be taken as, as thoughts. And then there's a danger in, there's a danger in having the path laid out for you before you practice. So I practiced in the Mahasi tradition for quite a while and they would, they had what are called the steps of insight, the stages of insight. And for a long time, they didn't give that pamphlet to people until they had a certain level of realization because the mind moves into a relationship to where it's expecting it, and then if it has some experience, it's interpreting it and questioning, did that happen or did that not happen? So there's a danger in that. So good. So in terms of real practice, you just, you work with the energies that come up in relation to the actual words that are flowing in your mind, as you would anything else. Every once in a while, you may feel it as pure inspiration and not as comparing mind did I have this, will I get this? And then it's fine because it's, it's just like anything you might hear in the hall if you're on a retreat and it comes back to you at a certain point and it helps you when you need it. It helps you to become more clear if you're confused and you wanna give up or whatever it might be, it helps you to come back to what you said for yourself. So those are the, those are the uh, sort of ways of th- that it's, you can get caught and also just to know that you don't have that you can use it as a practice. The other thing that's very good is that we often come to the practice through being inspired. We just have to know that that's inspiration because <laughs> the teachings are all saying it's a finger pointing at the moon. It's all saying this finger is not the moon. That's what that's what all the books are full of. That's what all of our words are full of. So you have to translate that. Now the Eightfold Path, the classical path of the Buddhist teachings, Sila, sila Samadhi panya, it starts with wisdom. So it starts with an orientation towards awakening. That can come in a natural way. You don't have to read about it because you can think, I'm suffering and I want to. Some part of me really wants to get out of this. You can also come to it because you've read something and you're inspired. But the way the path unfolds is that initial understanding on intellectual level, once the mind gets steadied through Samadhi through concentration, and then wisdom ripens through seeing clearly again and again, whether it's on the cushion or in daily life. Then, what you first saw as theory is affirmed by actual experience. But the flavor is not of a thought. The thought, the affirmation through the thought comes out of the actual experience. So, that's the. And it is a traditional way. I practiced in Thailand for quite a while, I was ordained there for about a year. It's called Patibhati and Paryati, and they go back and forth between study and practice. Study and practice. And some of the greatest masters in, that are monks around the world are also hold like PhDs. In Buddhism, it doesn't you don't have to. There are plenty that don't. But some of them do. So it doesn't there doesn't need to be a conflict. You just gotta be really clear what experience is, what the quality of the mind is, and then what the thoughts are that are on top of it. Is that helpful? Thank you very much. Okay, great. Anybody else? Please.
3: The hardest part of the practice for me is not, <laughs> this is for everybody, not getting lost. Mm-hmm. Lost in thought. The distinction, I have practiced for years in the Mahasiddhi tradition also. Mm-hmm. Thinking, thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, We're always told when you notice a thought, just notice it and let the, you uh, know, do the noting and let the thought finish and just go back to the breath. I never could do that. The moment it, uh, Thinking, thinking, bam! You know, I would annihilate the thought. I couldn't deal with it any other way. Mm-hmm. Now, what I'm hearing here, and I, I like this approach, it's very natural to me. And in fact, it's this kind of openness has happened to me spontaneously, which mm-hmm. is why it's, it feels so good, so natural anyway. The, the difference is. that we're, the cognition that we're, we're thinking and then to allow that to drop
0: That, that's, that to me, I'm right, I don't know, that's a, that's a tremendous challenge. How do you not get, how, how do I not get lost? Uh, so the question is, in Mahasi of a certain practice, which, uh, just to paraphrase what you said, you, the noting for you obliterated the thought. Uh, how, and then you like the natural approach here where you're not, attempting to get rid of it in the same way just hopefully i'm summarizing properly but then the next part of it about cognizing this can be semantics but let's keep it really really simple as we're with the body and the breath if a thought you can either choose to just keep grounding and steadying the quality of attention here so when you see a thought you don't say thinking 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 if that's useful for you it's okay it's okay. I would just say do it with a light touch, etc. I had many years in that tradition uh, and I dropped it at a certain point, but it's a very valid tool for those it works for. Um, so let's say you're not using the noting. You're still seeing the energy of the thought. When you catch it, you come back. The second mode of practice, the intermediary mode, is when you're with the body and the breath, you actually can also be with the thought, which can take out some of the power because that's not where all your energy is going. It's not all getting sucked into the thought. And then the third mode is you're just open to whatever is. And you're not trying to create a cognitive stance in the sense, if the seeing is strong enough, then you will be able to, at times, hold that in a light way. This is the descriptive words. You'll see it, but there will be, the energy of seeing will be strong enough. So many things can happen. It can stay there. It can stay there, but we're not in conflict with it, and we're still, aware it can be the power of the seeing can be so strong that it just evaporates or maybe the thoughts not that strong but the trick is if you're getting if you're getting lost in the thought and the the quality of seeing isn't strong enough maybe there's something else that becomes stronger like resistance to the thought if you're practicing in an open way and that's what's more vivid than the actual thought then that's what you're with so that's why it's different than just coming back to something separate but it takes a quality of sensitivity to actually be very skillful in this. So spend as much time as you need, either grounding more exclusively or uh, being with the body and the breath and getting to know the thoughts and their energies a little bit, if that's what's predominant. So does that make sense as as a way we're not actually trying to create a stance in relationship to it. It depends on the quality of how the seeing energy is developed. To be whether it's strong enough to be with it in a fruitful way or not. So it's just, that's just the clarification of the instructions, which you've heard ad nauseum, right? (laughs) But the question is, is it, is it working for us? Uh, Is there a continuity of attention which is building? So one way is, is the mind being overwhelmed? If there's, if the mind can stay in, this a little different frame since, uh, is that if the mind cannot be shaken, the thoughts there, and there's awareness and you're not pushing and pulling, are you learning something? Is there some value in that? Maybe that's more addressing what the cognitive piece is. But uh, I want to keep it simple. So is that helpful? It is. I guess the key then is just you're pushing and pulling. And the key is awareness. And the key in practice is knowing when it's fruitful to just keep being with what's there and when we're getting sucked in again and again, and we're believing the thoughts over and over, and it's time to get some more strength. And if, you, if, you can, if, you, if the mind is not pushing and pulling and there's that clarity, great. Then if you, if you see that, we see that's just another aspect of choice awareness. That's a quality of the mind, right? Please. Right. then in some way you must be involved because so you that's having this thought.
3: So how do you how do you you know I, I don't want to identify with thought, it just sounds like I just did, it first, but <laughs> uh, I suppose, but I'm just i I feel like I have a very hard time
0: telling what I'm pushing and pulling and what I'm not. So there's a very clear so the question is uh, is there an identification with the thought? Is there always identification when thought's happening and, and can there be Right? Part of
3: it
0: with it. Okay, that's a little different than what you said before, but very simply, simple distinction. If you're thinking, if you're thinking and you're buying into it, versus a thought is actually happening and there's a awareness in relationship to it. If you're thinking and buying into it, and the pushing and pulling is if you're in a thought and there's awareness present and you're adding to it or you're, there's, a little, there's a little energy in the story, a little extra energy somewhere. I'm just telling you one way to, to, to work with this. Then generally, there's some investment in it. There's some pushing or pulling investment in it. If a thought is happening, it can go on for two seconds. It can go on for a long time. And there's no, there's no energy of adding to it, but you're seeing it clearly, then it's a passion show. Uh, and if there's a sense of it's me happening, then that's what, you're, that's what you're aware of. It's just, it's just another thought. It's another quality of, of experiencing. It's nothing, it's, nothing, it's, it's not a, we don't have to tease it out. Is it happening to me or not? That's, a, that's like a philosophical question. So are you aware or are you, are you aware of thinking? Is there awareness present that's strong enough so that it's not just normal worldly thinking? Or is it just normal worldly thinking and you're caught in it? So that's the distinction to see for yourself. And usually when you have thinking, are you caught in it or is it more like a cloud and you're able to see it as a, as a cloud with its, with its details, but know that it's not, that, that it's not gripping you? Answer me. <laughs> We've only got, yeah. I was, but I wanted an answer. <laughs>
3: Oh, and I know that that's not good. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: it might be good if you're trying to avoid something and you don't want to deal with it, which is one reason why we space out. <laughs> but I, I, guess, I guess once in a while I can
3: still tell, even if I'm really, really aware that it's a thought and I feel like I have a lot of clarity at that point, mm-hmm. I can still tell that somehow, some way, I'm the person that's kind of conducting this show.
0: Fine, then that's what you, put your, that's what you shine your awareness on. See, there's nothing, whatever you say, the answer is the same. I know. Good. Next. Please, next. Yes. Oh, wait, wait, back here. Sorry, please.
1: I have questions, like, and some of these may be too, as you say, philosophical. Like one question is,
0: well, everything that- Okay, let's stop, Can I, let me ask you a question before you go into the, okay? Please pinch yourself. Go ahead. Okay, how'd you know that?
1: <laughs> that I mean, that's
0: very clear. Good. That's what, that's what awareness, awareness tells us what's happening in the present moment. We're, this practice, when we talk about it, it becomes like a thing in our minds that we want to get and we want to, re, we want to reify it somehow. We want to make it into something. Because that's what our mind does with experience. That's all it knows how to do. It always makes, it makes something out of an experience. That's how it makes sense of the world. So it wants to do the same thing with awareness. Every time that we are aware, pinching, tasting, smelling, touching, even a subtle mind state, which might be where your question would have been going, <laughs> of awareness, is, is there the seeing of it? And so you don't need to ask what is the actual quality of the seeing rather than it's, it's actually knowing how your mind, you know how your mind is relating when the mind gets more quiet. It knows if it's pushing into something or pulling away from it. It knows that. And it's the same, it's just much more difficult to be, it's a pinch. It's much more difficult to do that with a mind that is subtle.
1: Well, here's one question about more difficult to do that.
0: I mean, that was helpful, but. But, okay, go ahead. (laughs)
1: I mean, nine-tenths of my daily life is stuff that, you know, I hear from the news or, so...
0: Okay, good. You hear it from the news. So what's happening then? You're hearing? There's meaning? There's your inner response? Why can't awareness be brought there? I don't know. It just seems much more complicated. There's more going on. Direct. It's sure. Sure. That's why we come to places like this. No, it's, these are training wheels. We come, we come on a very smooth road with no potholes and, no, and we get nice bikes with big training wheels. <laughs> and then we try to go down the road. And now you're saying, what happens uh, when I'm on a highway with potholes and the speed limit's 65 and everyone's going 80? Right? And I'm in the left lane and my exit is coming up. It takes a lot more, it, it takes a lot more uh, it's, it's much more difficult in that sense. But the principles are actually the same. They're the principles of attention. And so that's what really what we come back to. And that's why the emphasis, like when I said the mind is not pushing or pulling, that's a reminder. The mind is not leaning forward or getting sunk into. It's harder to do that if you turn on NPR or the the TV or whatever, and you're getting all this information, and then your mind starts going in relation to it, and you think you have to do this or that, or how did they do that, right? It's much harder to have the mind not pulled around by that. But it's no less interesting if you can, once you learn to touch that quality. So when we're sitting here, we're watching, if the conditions are right, we're watching our mind as a movie. We go home and then it's just externalized. But it's the same process. And then it gets comp- more complicated because then we have to act in relationship to it. But the principles are very the same, are, are exactly the same in terms of coming to the quality of awareness and use the same tools you used here in daily life. You can't be as refined often, <laughs> but if you're driving, your hands are on the wheel and your feet are touching and it, it takes a comprehensive awareness. When you're doing your yogi job, it takes a different quality of attention to actually if you're moving about and there's visuals and there's different tasks to be done than if you're sitting in silence here, but they both take attention. So it's, and this is the fun of it in a certain way. We're learning to, to uh, have a skillful, um, learning different attentional stances depending on what the situation calls for. And so I would, if you can have the spirit of seeing, not, oh, it's so complex, because it is, you're right, absolutely. But how can I, how can I, how can I be aware here? How can I kept, keep my mind simple here in the midst of all this? So that attitude, uh, and it's fine if it gets caught, but then there's, the body's always here, the senses are always here. There's always, there's always a little someone tapping on their shoulder saying, wake up, wake up, because life is always here. As long as we're alive and the senses are here. Uh, I read a teaching a couple weeks ago. It's a little bizarre teaching, because it was a Tibetan teaching about awareness being trapped in the body. But it was beautiful, because it basically, it was saying, you have this body while you're alive. And your body's always having reactions. Your senses, including this, are always having reactions. And so your awareness is always having the opportunity to wake up. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's interesting. I didn't think about it like that before. And actually put me into a state of not thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it, the attitude's very important. It's a very good question. You have to explore it, we all do. Please. I want to shift away from the mind uh, to the heart for the and the uh, an experience I had at the
2: end of the day with, at the end of the afternoon, Jim, you know, where, um, in Samsara, he asked us just to let us stay in this post for five minutes. And just with no agenda, with no place to be, forget about the bell, Yeah. Of love, mm-hmm. for, from me. So I find when I go back to the city, I'm sitting on the subway, and I'm just like looking at the person across <laughs> from me, and all of this love is going on. <laughs>
0: Okay, I get the point. I get the point. Okay,
3: okay. <laughs> I, got it, I got it. I got it. Okay.
0: You're doing it to all of us now. Okay. <laughs> the, these are. <laughs> sorry, time's up.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, love comes out of silence. And before we can really love, from uh, before we can really love, we have to get out of our own way, and then it flows. So love is awareness in a certain sense; it's just awareness moving. So what I heard you saying is that there's compassion as well, and there's empathy, and there's all these qualities that, when something opens up, there's a real connection with life. I don't know. Love, love isn't. Look, l- love is not what you can name it. <laughs> so, let, let let me finish. Let me let me just. You wanted me to talk. I'm talking. Okay, it's your. <laughs> 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 don't pause. She's my speech coach, and she always tells me to pause. And now she's saying, "Don't pause." <laughs> no, she. <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> Cause that's not a very loving thing to say. <laughs> Come on. I don't know. Uh, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> Can we just stay to awareness? It's a lot easier, okay? <laughs> Love? Why do you have to? Look, it, your heart. when your heart opens, when your heart opens, okay, first of all, uh, the heart and the mind are, it comes from the word chitta. So it's, it's one thing. It's not separate. And the practice leads to an appreciation of life as it is. And it connects from a clear place where we're not in the way of that connection. You can call that what you want, and tremendous energy can come from that. And whether that expresses itself as, uh, as something in action or just in a quality of seeing is very individual and very situational. So you may feel this love for people on the sidewalk or whatever. And you may have to actually uh, you may have to use some wisdom to not act out on that, <laughs> right? That's what you call love. That's, that's, that's a level of connection. And if we're working with awareness, then we, we let that flower. But also, if we realize that it's situationally, it's not appropriate to, to, to act, then we get in touch with the, what comes up. There might be resistance. You might be like, oh, I don't, I want to act. Do you ever feel that, that you want to act, and is it painful that you can't act because your heart's overflowing? Yes or no? Did I have no, 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 don't turn my words. We're, we're friends, so we can play. <laughs> if you're, I just told you, you're on this, you just told me an example on the subway and you wanna love someone and then you've made a nice, right? You have this outgoing love and you, you can't because if you, if you go over there and just hug them, you both might fall on the tracks and get run over or something. <laughs> It's not appropriate. Do you? I'm just asking you. So I'm asking you. To, I'm putting this back on you now. When you have these certain emotions, outpouring of affection, of love, of care, those terms. If it is not appropriate to ex- express it, how do, Is there any dampening in the energy? Is there any? Is there, do you, is there any awareness in relation to that energy, knowing that the situation you can't act. right so it makes wise okay good good and, good so that's, you know, not so that's good so that's where so there's wisdom and so love is one energy there's a very there's a very famous uh, teaching uh, I think it's no but I'm not sure it says love tells me I'm everything wisdom tells me I'm nothing and my life flow, flows between the two. So in that sense, there's this amazing sense of connection. There's, it's an identification, in a sense, with all of life. And there can be action that comes from that. You were speaking beautifully about that. There can also be this sense, and this is more, more what this tradition emphasizes, and that's why you said, how come you haven't heard it in the hall? The sense of seeing life as movement and this knowing that there's awareness that is that opens up. There's a great silence that opens up in relation to all experience. And even to the sense that it's happening to us. <laughs> so that we're not identified. And there's tremendous freedom in that. There's a coolness. There's a there's a sense that life is moving. And the burdens drop. We let go of that this this burden of holding on to any form of emotion. But the two work very the two can really move back and forth and work together when the heart and the mind the heart and the mind to use that language are both open so it's not a pro- love's not a problem it's great <laughs> it's great in action whatever emotion is there we we see it there's a there's a relationship to it based on awareness so they both they come together they can be of one fabric and they can take in different flavors but for me this there is love in this because i know when the mind gets quiet and deep just to use conventional terms, whatever, there's tremendous love in that place. There's not fear, there's love, there's connection. Uh, and then when it moves into traditional more love, then there's identification. And when it moves more on the wisdom side from using this term, the cool side, then there's not. So, so live it, great. C- come on over for dinner tomorrow night. <laughs> okay? I, we need more people like you in the world, don't we? <laughs> There's definitely not enough love to go. I mean, we need love. <laughs> Good. So love and it's compassion and wisdom. It's love and awareness. And they're not separate. But they can be, in the sense, depending on the energies. Okay. So it's just, it's that seeing quality. So for you, it's like, are you aware, as, as it's flowing, is there aware, not separate awareness, but is there? And when there's total separation, just when there's, when there's total dissolvement of separation, who cares? Is no problem. It really isn't, the distinctions, it's a distinction that's arbitrary because no one's making it. Okay, one more, please. Um, How do you justify... Wait, one more. By the way, I'm not an expert on love. (laughs) Seriously, I'm not, like, I don't claim to be, so when you use the term, it's not something that's, it's familiar in experience, but the language is not, from this tradition, the language is not so much it's not so much in the tradition. So, uh, so it has to be framed in terms of words a little differently. But experientially, no. Is that helpful? OK. So your, your love came from yourself, right? It came from just naturally being with yourself in silence. Yeah. There's a natural expression of that. It's not cultivated. That's coming through seeing what's not love and then it springs out of it. Is that your experience? Well, no, I'm just responding to what you said about uh, So no, let me, let, but let's, Phyllis, just a second, let's, I wanna, this is actually, this is actually an important distinction because we can, in this tradition, there's a lot of cultivation of love in terms of doing metta practice where we actually wish well and we can touch, cultivate, grow states where we actually feel very connected. The heart is, has outflow of beaming, beautiful, bright energy. And it's a practice. So that is metta, love and kindness. Brahma Viharas, that can be practiced. And it is being practiced more and more in the centers uh, in this tradition all over. It is, as you know from CIMC. The other side though is that the love that comes from not, not calling it love, because there can be identification in glomming onto any state that's emotional and that's pleasant in the same way we do to any state that's, that's not, that's, that's unpleasant. And so we often identify with states, When they, do they change? Does your state of love change forever? Does it stay the same forever? Mhm. that in the concept itself. Uh, we are we, we, we do not we did not map practice here. But my heart is void of good. Exactly. And and I I believe that that comes from the practice apart from metapractice. It comes from the That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. There's that piece. Good. Yeah. So but we don't I'm just saying you can you can work with it in different ways because you're saying why is there not why is it not emphasized? It is, but it's not as something you have to, it's the same thing. If we set it up as an ideal, as a goal, then the energy of going for it as an idealized state is the same as going for any other energy that's an idealized state, right? It's act, but not the fruits that, we act so that we're gonna f- have this particular feeling. And the, the energy, then we're, then we're leaning into the moment and we're actually blocking the fruition of the moment, letting it flower as it is, which is where the, which is where the love comes from. So that's why that's why it's 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 hard to make it a thing. That's why it's hard to make awareness a thing, right? To make something that we want to some state that's better than the state we're in. <laughs> okay, it's natural, and you know it. So fine, uh, Metta, you have all you have you have all you need in you, don't you? And you're sharing it, so let it shine. Please. Now we'll go to the last one. Okay. Um,
2: so how do you not use awareness just to justify like an unhealthy habit that you continue like from a long time ago? So mm-hmm. I don't know if you were to go hug somebody on the subway and that would be, I mean that, I don't know if that's an unhealthy habits when you develop, but um, <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So, before, I don't need specifics, but so the, the question is can awareness be a justification for an unhealthy habit that is carried on from the past, we've had for a long time? What did you say? <laughs> I thought I said exactly the same words. Oh, you couldn't hear me. Sorry, uh, my voice is getting a little tired. <laughs> it's the last evening. Um, what I said was I thought what you said. So, okay. Can we leave it at that or do you want me to, okay. Did I say what she said? Yes. Thank you. Okay, good.
3: So do you want her to answer you now? (laughs) No.
0: Oh, thank you, we need (laughs) to, please. Yes, not speaking in specifics, but in jet, is this something that's happened to you? You don't have to go into the. I can surmise, would that be just, you can just say yes, but you don't, I don't need the actual circumstance. Okay. How do you not do that with like? Okay, good. So in your awareness practice, in your mindfulness practice, have you noticed that over time it's changed? Well, you're pretty new, right, to the practice? Um, not to yoga. Okay, your mindfulness practice, different. It, um, it can be not the meditation, same. But some mindfulness meditation. Okay. So I need I need someone in here who's had a had a had a pattern that uh, has been that has been long-standing that fits in the same category that you're talking about that would care to comment on how mindfulness has changed it just one person how mindfulness has changed your relationship just just through being just through mindfulness practice has anybody had an experience say, a compulsive say food or sex or money or life (laughs) (laughs) I went to a 12-step meeting with uh, someone who I knew that was in them I wasn't I didn't fit in any of the categories and I came to me and I said, I'm addicted to life. (laughs) Because I just felt that addictive energy going a lot of, it didn't fit into one category. But uh, there's a lot of places it can go. So you want to give just one?
1: Well, trying to control my children's lives, I would say. Good, that's a good one.
0: (laughs) That's a good one. And now, now I can feel what it's like. I
1: feel what it's like that I used to think. I used to be justifying it like, well, he really does need to do it this way, so I just had to tell him, you know? And Wait, now I... I, I feel uh-huh. the energy that okay, I'm trying to control him from my sake, so I won't worry so much about him, and it's really all about me.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. It's like Oprah in here now. <laughs> Anybody? No. <laughs> uh You'll have to discover that I can give you an answer. There's a lot of studies done uh, that once, if we learn to steady our attention in the present moment and we feel a compulsive pattern before we actually act, that if we see it, we have a better chance of choosing a different outcome, trying a different thing. There's plenty of studies that have shown that and how it changes actually chemical flows in the brain that support compulsive addictive patterns because we rewire through Coming to the present moment, the, the firing of the neurons actually changes. So there's, there's more natural response patterns than reaction patterns. But this is something we have to find out for ourselves. Uh, and I'm y- say, like, I'm <laughs> Did I ever say? <laughs> it could be Twinkies. I don't know. It doesn't, it's not, I'm not, it, it's, no, it's. Like, um, OK, OK. Good. So the, that's situational appropriateness, and the key of present moment awareness is that when it's cooking, it allows us to see. It allows us to see both as things as energies are coming up. It sees the energies, and actually, in terms of using our memories, it can actually show us. It can reveal sometimes what we've done in the past. There'll be an image or something. We know where we've gone before, and often when we don't have we don't have knowledge. We're just sucked into it. And then afterwards, we're halfway down that road and we're like, oh, I did this. I've done this so many times. Why do I keep doing this? So we don't have choice. So the earlier we actually see the process as it's happening and we need to be able to see the energies in a way where we're not just, where we see them to be able to do that, then the better chance we have of moving in a different way. And look, just coming to the breath or just feeling your feet on the ground can help us to change patterns. I mean, it can be very innocent. I used to, when I was studying in Sri Lanka, there was this one tea house that I'd go by. And I'd go up and study with this old monk called Nyanaponika Thera, one of the old great, he's got some wonderful books. Um, and I'd go, I'd go up this hill, and there's this one tea shop with had sweets. And I went in there. And then after a while, I was like, I shouldn't go in there. Because I was getting sugar blues. I'd show up at the monastery, this revered monk, and I'd be all sleepy and all that, right? So, What I did is I started just using, I just, as I would feel the impulse, I started putting my attention somewhere else, very clearly for those 20 steps it took me to get past the sweet shop. And it was effort, but I was using, so that's one way, that's like blocking. That's like you see the energy and you make a simple choice to put your awareness somewhere else when you're in the situation that's a little edgy. So that's one strategy. Another is just to feel the energies as they're arising because often it's not that neat. And then to have some space, and and it, like your breath is there, or whatever is there to help you to create a relationship. But you have to you have to experiment. You have to experiment with it. Um, it's not easy. The whole path is based on compulsive. The Buddha basically said we're addicted to sense experience. We don't have a healthy relationship to it, and we have to develop one. Look at your life and see if if you can become aware as you're living, uh, and and then. The other piece, and Larry will probably go into it tomorrow, but I'll just do a tiny bit with it now, is a dialogue that the Buddha had with his son, Raula. And he said, before you do an action, so this is a reflection. Before you do an action, think, is this going to be beneficial for myself and others? So that's something you do before you go into a situation. And then while you're doing the action, you reflect again. Is this skillful for myself and others? And then once you're done, you reflect again. Was this skillful for myself and others? And if you find anywhere along there that it wasn't, then you learn, then you try to learn, and then you try to use your practice to help you to learn. So reflection is actually very good. Now that's a little clunky, and at a certain point, the seeing is naturally checking in. And look, it's a big mess being a human being. It's always much messier than these nice neat strategies say. So if we can just get a little angle on things, a little in the relationships at home in that our pattern, compulsive pattern, uh, sometimes they change quickly because we just see they're not serving us. And sometimes they're really, really stuck and mindfulness can be a helpful tool. Uh, it's So I hope that's helpful for you. But you're here, you did a whole week, okay? So see what happens when you go home and just keep the practice alive and, and just bring it, just bear it into the situations where you know, those those patterns that you feel like are not beneficial for yourselves and others. I'm assuming that's where right? right? Exactly. So. Yeah, Yeah. we're always talking about someone else. But guess what? We're all one. So it's us. (laughs) Okay. I think we should, uh, we could just go on. But I think we should move back into the silence. Is that all right? So let's just pause for a moment. Let's close our eyes. Without sinking, nor struggling, I crossed the flood of inattention, and ended up right here, right now. Okay, let's do some walking. Thank you. Thank you for listening.